everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the flagship show where we are going to hit on a lot of different topics. But of course, we want to touch a little bit on the match this weekend. Bayern Munich downed Schalke 6 0. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, if you have not checked it out already, I suggest you give I Need No Names post-game show a listen. Uh, if you even want to go further back, check out last weekend's weekend warm-up where you can get uh, all of the latest takes on the news from last week. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about as always with Bayern Munich. The flagship show is normally run by a couple of different people, but due to scheduling conflicts, uh, I had to take it over this week to get a podcast out. So we are going to roll with it from here. A solo mission for me. It's nothing that I'm not used to. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, Bayern Munich with that 6-0 victory over Schalke. There were a lot of good things you could take out of that. Now, as I wrote about after the match, there is a slight part of me that said to myself, it's, it's bleeping Schalke. Like, don't get too excited. But I didn't want to really quell my excitement too much because if we've learned anything this season, it's that when there are things that you should be excited about or things you should be happy about with this Bayern Munich team, just take the moment and enjoy it. Try not to downplay it by the level of competition or anything else that's going on. So I did allow myself to just enjoy the match for what it was. And what it was was a dominant showing. Uh, from the beginning, you could tell Bayern Munich had a lot of jump in its step. Schalke was just overmatched. And I mean, it's a, it is a bad spot to be in if you are Schalke uh, to have to face a Bayern Munich team in the title hunt with just a couple of games left in the season. When Bayern knew they had no room for error, they were super focused, they were super aggressive, and they just really dominated the match. And I think one of the things a lot of people will point to is Thomas Tuchel decided to call Thomas Muller's number and put him back in the starting lineup. Uh, the person who was bumped out, actually two key people were bumped out of the lineup this week, uh, Sadio Mane and Leon Goretzka. Goretzka, of course, it wasn't well, it wasn't really clear that he would start this week uh, coming off a of suspension. There are there were some rumors that he was a little banged up as well. So Tuchel uh, absolutely did not see the need to play Goretzka, especially because he had to look at the scouting reports. He had to look at the game film and know he could just overwhelm them with offense. And that's what he did. Essentially, the formation worked out to be a 4-1-4-1. And they completely dominated Chalka that way. The other player who was omitted from the starting 11 was Sadio Mane. Mane, of course, did come in and make an impact late in the match. Uh, picked up an assist. But uh, Mane, it's one of those situations where I think it's starting to become clear that, that there will at least be an attempt to sell him this summer. He's getting some some... I don't even know if you want to say it's concrete interest, but there are stories out there that Chelsea is among the clubs that would be interested in him. And I think that would actually be a good fit for him. And I don't really hold any ill will against Mane. I think he was brought here under false pretenses to be some kind of savior when he obviously at this point in his career could not do that. Uh, he was not the striker that Bayern Munich wanted him to be which forced him to play wing where the team already has enough talent. And in fact, in my mind, the talent that the team does already have is more impactful 
than Mane is. And of course, I'm talking about Kingsley Coman, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, who had himself a game against Schalke playing striker, and Jamal Musiala, who I still think should get more time on the wing, but somehow... I'm just beating a dead horse at this point with that because it does not appear that any coach is really going to move him out there. Anyway, uh, knowing that Mane was down, knowing that Goretzka was out of the lineup, that 4-1-4-1 just kept the pressure on Schalke the entire match. And it was good to see Thomas Muller break through. Uh, Obviously, this has been a tough stretch for him for a number of reasons. With playing time really not being, uh, especially starting 11 calls, not really being a big thing for him right now. I think a lot of his fans really wanted him to go out and establish himself early, which he did. And I thought that he was part of the reason Byron looked so organized and why Byron was so ferocious in their attack. And, you know, Muller went out, he got that first goal and really got things going. And I think there was a, a real a tangible impact to the game that Muller made I think it's what he still can do. And I've been saying this for a while. I think that he can do this for at least another season at a very high level, if not two. So I don't get the the whole sentiment that, you know, Tuchel wants to throw dirt on the grave of Muller. Like, I understand why it looks that way. And I understand that most people feel that way, including myself. I don't understand why, why Tuchel is leaning toward not using Muller as much. Now, listen, he is a veteran player. He is 33 years old. He's getting up there. But it's not the same 33 years old as people were in the 80s. Like at 33 in the 80s, you were pretty close to tapping out your career. Modern medicine, modern technology has allowed athletes to have more longevity in their careers. And Muller is a good example of someone who you could see. And I'm capping his what I would say starting level play at two years. It could even extend more because he is not and has never been a player that relies on one exceptional physical trait for his game to be effective. He's fast, but he's not like a speed demon. And when I say fast, like he's obviously smoking most normal people in a race. And and, and to be honest, like he's not a slow player by any means. He's quick enough. Uh, He is not a player who relies on like any big physical trait in terms of size. Like he is not six foot four, six foot five out there, just winning headers and and impacting the game that way. He's light. He's quick. He makes super fast decisions. He's got great vision. Those are all things that translate into having a longer career. And in some ways you could look at a player like Robert Lewandowski, ironically, who is even older than Muller, but because of the way he's kept himself in shape and because yet he, again, he is another player that's not relying on one exceptional physical tool to make him a great player. Those are the kind of players where I think you see this kind of longevity. Now you could look at Ronaldo who is older than both. And you could see that there's obviously been a drop off with him. And while he physically looks great still, there is the drop in the quickness, the decision-making that required that he required to make himself that special of a player. And there's no doubt that a player like Ronaldo, I mean, one of the all-time greats, but he was a guy who, despite all of his fabulous skill, really did need those excellent physical traits to push his game over the top. And you could say the same thing about Messi because 
for as as much as people talk about Messi's lack of size, he he had aside of his whole processing in the game and mental ability to see the game, his exceptional burst and quickness really differentiated him. But Messi has evolved over the years as he has started to slow down a little bit. He has evolved his own game. And listen, he is not nearly the messy he was in his prime. And I think everybody gets that. But he is definitely still a player who at his age can impact the game because he has evolved past needing those physical traits to carry him. And 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 I listen, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that that Lionel Messi had these physical traits that pushed him over the edge. He he didn't. Like this, everything he had, he was super athletic in a lot of ways but not in the ways people think of athleticism in modern times. When you talk about athletic now, people are like, all right, okay, he can jump through the roof and he runs a 4-3-40 and blah, blah, blah. You can be incredibly athletic without doing those things. I think Messi is a perfect example of that. His burst, his ability to shift his weight and, and make fakes and feints and everything that he was able to do. I mean, that's all athletic, but like he was never going to be a guy who was, you know, uh, running a four, two, despite his great speed. Like I'm using four, two, like an NFL term here, but um, you know, he is one of these guys who, because he had such great ability technically, and because he had some physical skills that pushed him to, to really become this great player. He was so smart that he realized he was going to have to evolve a bit. And yes, you know, he's not going to be that messy that we all saw dominate the game, but it's an example of a player that because he knows his body, he knows the game and he's able to process the game at a, at a quicker rate than most people, he's going to last longer. And that's where I believe Muller is. I believe the way he's able to see the game, the, the way that he moves around the field, I think these are all things that lend him to having a little bit of a longer career if he wants it. And of course, Mueller's own situation was a big topic last week because there was the build story about him potentially wanting to leave. Then there was Khan saying there's no way he would let him go. And then there was the story that they would meet. And then another story that they already had met. And then finally, Mueller capped his week off with it. It was a I don't want to call it a verbal confrontation because it wasn't. It was a little bit of jousting between Mueller and Christian Falk from sport build as they went back and forth about all those reports. And and listen, I I what I read into their exchange was that Mueller and Falk have a little bit of a relationship. And I, I didn't really read any malice behind it from Mueller or even any really him being irritated. I think he was in having a little bit of fun with the situation. But I also do think that Mueller at some point in the back of his head does have it that, you know, listen, I might love this club. I might want to retire here. If I feel like I can play, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to stay here. So, I mean, as much as we all think he's going to stay and as much as he might say it, what Tuchel's plan is for him will probably play a big role in what he decides. And ultimately, I do think that he will stay in that you know, it'll probably be a lesser role, but it might be enough to keep him engaged. And I think that that will be important for the team next year, as this will be another turning of the page because you're going to have to go out and get a striker, which is going to change the identity of this attack once again. And what we found out this year when Robert Lewandowski left is that the attack had no identity. There was no person who could step up and be that focal point 
like Bayern Munich needed. Julian Nagelsmann tried to spread the wealth. Didn't work because not everyone was on the same page. Uh, Sadio Mane didn't really hit his stride at Bayern Munich. Serge Gnabry had slumped a lot. And then it became a point as who can you start in those top two positions if you're running a four triple two. And eventually it came down to Eric Maxim Jubo Moting as being a player that, that could fulfill that role. And then even shifting to more of a 4-2-3-1 look with Chupo being the player who would play the nine role. So this whole this whole season has been a situation that it has evolved and it has changed. And the one thing that's been constant is that we learned that Bayern Munich was really going to have to have a better plan than they did this season. And coming out of the Schalke match, it, it's still pretty evident they're going to need a striker, despite the fact that Serge Gnabry, listen, he's filled in admirably the last few weeks, and he's done well there. I don't think he's a long-term solution. And, and what almost what scares me is that Byron could look at his success and start to rationalize that Gnabry could be the man there, and then you could see them go out and get another wing and just focus on Gnabry playing the nine. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with all of that, and there'll be plenty of time to talk about that. But Mueller's impact on the match, I thought, was really good. I thought we saw a, a just a, just a dominant effort defensively in the midfield. And even though Kimmich was kind of the, a man on his own in the midfield, it didn't really matter because he wasn't going to be tested that much. And even when he did get beat, the back line was so – I mean, they're just effective. They were really good. Uh, Pavar and Matthijs De Ligt, I thought – just did a very solid job overall in, in controlling things. And it did allow the outside backs, Jao Cancelo and Nusar Misrali, who we will talk about in a little bit, really bomb up the field and be effective in the offense. So uh, it's a scary look for Bayern Munich when they're able to attack like that. But again, if you want to level set, it was against Schalke. You know, if they were doing that against Man City, it might be a little bit different. But of course, Tuchel did not use this lineup against Man City. So uh, good weekend for Bayern Munich. They stay atop the table. Everything is going to come down to these final couple of weeks here. And it, it'll be fun. Like uh, Dortmund is keeping themselves in the race. They are not bottling it. So it, it's going to come down here and it should be enjoyable it should be something that fans are watching at this point one thing we can tell you about fan engagement at bfw is that every year at this time typically Bayern munich is the, the race is over they've already clinched you know more often than not they're already done in the champions league and engagement on the site starts to drop a little bit as people really start to tune out for the rest of the season and we can even see it this year where there's been a little bit less interest, especially in the games. Like there's a lot that goes on back and forth with the news of the week, but for the games at this point, it, it's not been as active as past years. And I think people are mentally exhausted from everything that they've went through with this season from you know the untimely firing of Julian Nagelsmann to Tuchel's struggles to the Mane-Sane controversy to Mane struggling and not being able to replace Lewandowski. And I think part of it is that we could all see where what was going on with this team last summer. And, and it was great to be excited about Matthijs De Ligt. He, he has come in and been everything and more that I think Bayern fans have wanted. Uh, Matisse Tell has given fans a reason to have some hope 
that he could maybe be an impact player, whether that's at striker or wing in the future, because he has a nose for the goal. He can score and he's got dynamic ability. Uh, Ryan Gravenberg has people excited, but it's really unclear at this point whether he wants to remain. And Nusar Mizrahi has done a good job of battling through some adversity this season and showing that he still, yes, he still can play after his ailment and that he is an impact player and Bayern Munich is going to have to account for him moving forward in the future. If they want to keep him, they're going to have to find a way to play him because much like Gravenberg, Mizrahi is very much his happiness is very much tied to how much he is playing and Byron's going to have to take a look at that situation because as much as Brazo wants to retain those kinds of players they are not going to be happy if they're not on the field so he'll have to look at the roster he'll have to get with Tuchel and see what the the squad planning looks like what the starting 11 might look like for next season and uh, then there will be some tough decisions that will be made. And that'll lead us right into one of the big topics I wanted to talk about was the back line and how one, how it's looked, how it's functioning and where it might end up for next season. And I think for a lot of reasons, you know, you look right at the center backs and you say, Matthijs De Ligt, he is, he's been excellent. Really can't say enough good things about him. I think he came into Bayern Munich a little bit out of shape. Of course, we know Juventus, you know, fitness was not always a priority. So with Delict, it did take him a little while to get going. He made some mistakes early in the year. And of course, like when we got our first glimpse of him, <laughs> when they did uh, the friendly against DC United, he was winded. He was out of shape. He was not ready for that. And he has gotten uh, himself whipped in the shape. He's gotten, I mean, he's really had a, a great season and, and, you know, he is, Although he is not one of the captains on the team, he might be the most effective captain because he is calling the shots from the back. He is being vocal. He's leading by example. He has put his body on the line. He has stepped up and made some tremendous defensive plays. You know, the goal line clearance against PSG being one that I think most of us, when you look at the top plays of the season, I think you look at that one and I don't know how, you see that play and you're not like that guy is all in and fully invested into everything going on with this club. Uh, Dio Upamakano is a player who started out great and then really fell off and then he got injured. So fans opinion of Upamakano really goes two different ways. There are those fans that are backing him to the T and they feel like Upamakano has really done enough and established himself enough that you can't question him. Then there are some others that remember those terrible, terrible mistakes he made and how bad he looked against Man City and then how he couldn't really get it back together before getting injured. I think it's somewhere in between. I think Upamakano is a really good talent. He's had a really good season. But there are some reasons to be wary of how he matches up against big physical strikers and he has really struggled against them in the past now what we can say is there's enough of a track record with upamakano where you still have to feel very comfortable about where he's at can he get better yes will he get to the level of a player like matthias delict or the a player like luca hernandez who will be coming back from an injury i think so but at this point like you know Upamakano, if I had, you know, the, the four center backs on the roster next year, Upamakano would be 
probably sitting at four for me. And that's not a bad thing. It just shows you how deep this center back core is. When you talk about the Licht and Hernandez and Pavar, who we'll talk about him in a second, has been excellent. Um, it's not a, a bad thing. But Upamakano could easily jump from four to two or four to one, just depending on how he comes back and looks when he's fully healthy, fully integrated, ready to go 90 minutes. He has been very good for Bayern Munich. He has shown lapses that I don't think we've seen out of Delict that we certainly haven't seen out of Luca Hernandez. And that probably in my mind puts him a step below them. Uh, as for Benjamin Pavar, I think he has been exceptional at center back. I think he's done a terrific job. I totally get why he wants to make that move. I mean, financially, you obviously pay more for center backs than you do for outside backs, but He's more comfortable there, and he likes the position better. I hope that Bayern Munich can find a way to keep Benjamin Pavard because I think, I don't know, I'm still beating that stupid drum that a back three is the best formation for this club, but it's not going to happen. But I do think with the core of the team, you look at all the different positions and you look at the strengths, you have to look at center back as the deepest, best position on this team when you're looking at the Licht, Hernandez, Pavar, and Upamakano. What I ultimately think is going to happen with Pavar, and and we're seeing stories right now that Brazo basically has come out and said, like, it's it's up to him. We want him back, but it's going to be his call. He's got to let us know if he wants to be here. I think Pavar is going to move on because I don't think Tuchel's going to shift to a back three. I think he's going to stick with a back four, meaning we'll just use two center backs. And, uh, it means that Pavar is probably going to move on because he's he's going to look at the situation. You see yourself as part of a quartet of starting caliber center backs. Hernandez is likely to re-up his contract this summer. Upamakano, who briefly thought about leaving last summer, seems like he's intent on staying. The Licht is not going anywhere. So I do think Pavar is going to examine this situation. He's probably going to move on, which is very unfortunate because I think that he has been a player who's caught way too much heat over the years. And I think, you know, he did a lot of things in terms of sacrificing why he was signed. If you go all the way back to when he was signed, he was not signed to play right back at Bayern Munich. He was signed to play center back. And at the time, they needed a right back because Kimmich was moving, wanted to shift in and play more of a midfield role. So, Naturally, Pavar having that flexibility and being that versatile was able to shift out and play right back. And he did so really well for most of his time. Did he have some off games? Absolutely. Did he piss off some fans? Sure. But I think it was always a little bit more of fans being spoiled at the time because there weren't a whole lot of reasons to criticize Bayern Munich during many of the periods <laughs> over the past couple of years. So when you needed someone to be mad at, Pavar was a, a good choice because certainly like most fans didn't direct their ire at Thomas Muller or Robert Lewandowski or Manuel Neuer or Yeshua Kimmich because those players are pretty much untouchable. So when things went wrong, if they went wrong defensively, it was always somehow Pavar's fault. If they went wrong offensively, it was always Sané or Coman or Gnabry. I mean, there are some players that barely got criticized and others who took the brunt of it. And Pavar did take a lot of heat. So uh, in my mind, he is a player that you need back. But if you're only going to play a back four and you only need two starting center backs, it's going to be tough to maintain the quartet that Bayern Munich has. So I do think Pavar will probably move on unless Tuchel 
has plans to shift to a back three where I think a player like Pavar would be an absolute necessity. When you look at the outside back positions, however, it's kind of crazy. So you have Alfonso Davies, who's working his way back from injury right now as a player who is probably going to re-up his contract. He wants to stay at one club through 2026, which would allow him to be pretty stable leading into the World Cup. He he is. It has already been reported that he is really not intent on moving because he he thinks that the stability and consistency of being in one place will help him as Canada prepares to to really go after it in the next World Cup. Um, so with that, I mean Davies is is likely not going anywhere. Joseph Stanisic is an interesting player because he's so versatile, uh, but he's caught in a numbers game right now. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he explores a loan this summer, just because he, there is just a, there's a lot of talent at the positions that he plays. When when you look at center back, like we just talked about, there's there's a lot of talent there. You look at outside back, which Stanisic can play both roles. Um, you know, it is it's it's really a situation where. He's good, but the club seems to favor other players in front of him. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. So I wouldn't be shocked if Stanisic goes, but a couple of the key really decisions have to be made on a couple of players. And Nusarmas Rally, I think we've seen that he has got the talent and he's got the ability. Can he be consistent enough to play at the level that Bayern Munich needs him? I think we need to see a little more only because we haven't really been able to see, see it long term. Because Mizrahi had a, a COVID-related ailment for a good chunk of the season, he didn't really get to establish himself too much under Nagelsmann. And when Tuchel took over, I mean, Mizrahi was still trying to work his way back and probably didn't have Tuchel's full trust. Because honestly, when you're a new coach, how can you put your full trust in someone when they're not operating at 100? percent Mizrahi had reportedly wanted to leave. His agent had reportedly offered him Juventus. We've seen FC Barcelona and Real Madrid also show uh, have reportedly shown interest in him. But this weekend, Brazo said Mizrahi's staying, and I firmly believe that. I don't think Brazo is ready to pull the trigger. The only thing that I would consider a little bit of a question mark is Mizrahi's own mentality in terms of wanting to be here. He is a player who has been very blunt about wanting to be on the field, needing to be on the field. He does not want to be a bench player. And this is very similar to what Ryan Gravenberg had pretty much said earlier this season. Uh, Mizrahi wants to play. So if if Byron is planning on Mizrahi being a starting right back, then I think that everything will work out fine. If Byron re-ups Pavar somehow and Pavar needs to play right back, that could be a problem. If Byron re-ups Cancelo and then plans the team Davies and Cancelo, then that might be a problem. So it's going to be one of those things where Byron is going to have to really have a plan. They can't fly by the seat by the seat of their pants here. They're going to have to figure it out. And when it comes to Cancelo, his loan stint from Man City will end and Byron will have to make that decision. Do they want to invest what is reportedly 70 million euro in Cancelo to be a player who might not start or do they want to try and work with City to try and get that fee down? Or do they just let send him back and, and call it a day on working with Jao Cancelo? 
I, I'm really like not certain how this is going to play out. I do think that Tuchel wants him. I think that the club likes him a lot. I think the club is very intrigued by what the attack could look like with Cancelo being on the roster. But his presence on that roster does present issues for Davies. It presents issues for Mizraoui and Stanisic, potentially for Pavar. So I don't know whether or not Bayern Munich is going to go all out and try and get Cancelo I just think they have enough interest to where there will be discussions. And I think that when they talk to Man City, if they can get that price down to somewhere around 50, maybe a little lower with some bonuses tied in, I think they would consider it. And if they do that before Pavar makes his decision, I think that we'll see him out officially for good. And I do think it could potentially have an effect on Mizrawi as well. So all of these things are tied together when it comes to the back line about the only stable presence back there. When you think about it in terms of career, long-term goals and plans and career maps, the lick seems pretty set. Hernandez, if he re-ups his deal this summer, will seem pretty set. Davies at least seems pretty set through 2026, regardless of what happens with Cancelo or Mizrahi. But Pavar, Stanisic, Mizrahi, those are all players that are going to be affected by whatever happens with Cancelo. So Brazo is going to have his work cut out for him. Bayern Munich is going to have its work cut out for it and trying to figure out how to, to best move forward with the players on this roster. Tuchel has to have a better plan than he had when he took over. And yes, it's tough. And yes, you know, this is a, a challenging roster. There's a lot of talent, a lot of egos, uh, a lot of players who excel in certain positions but might not excel in others where you want to use them. It's tough. It, it's not easy. And as Julian Nagelsmann found out, you can't just play without a striker at Bayern Munich. And Tuchel will, will certainly need the club to support him and get him a, a true number nine to lead the attack. But we'll see how that goes, who they can get. The, the field for nines right now is not great. Uh, if you think about it, there's question marks with all of them, at least the attainable ones. So, uh, we'll see how things go with that. But uh, Bayern Munich definitely has some decisions to make in their defense. Well, absolutely. Uh, I think it will be very, very good next year. But there are some decision decisions that really could sway things one way or the other, where if players decide they want out and they want to try and force their way out, it's going to be very difficult for Bayern Munich to to really keep them if they're going to be unhappy. Finally, the last thing I wanted to touch on was a rumor we saw last week, and that was that Bayern Munich was among the teams with FC Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Manchester United who are eyeing RB Leipzig's Danny Almo. Now, Almo is a, is a good player. He is someone who Bayern Munich has reportedly had a lot of interest in in the past. And the, the rumors linking... Bayern Munich to Almo were not surprising because we had heard and seen this before. Where I, I wonder about this is Almo, who is he's he's had some injury problems this year. He has absolutely missed a good chunk of the earlier of the season uh, with some knee problems in February and early March. He had a torn muscle fiber. So there were definitely some things that uh affected his season but i mean even through 28 games across all competitions he has you know five goals and nine assists which it's not terrible output 
and maybe on a team like Bayern Munich, he could he could produce a little more. But where I mostly worry about him is not really with his production or his ability. It's how does he fit? He's mostly known for his work as an attacking midfielder. And, and there are way too many options at attacking midfield on this roster already. Thomas Muller, Jamal Musiala, Arjen Ibrahimovic, Paul Vonner, those are all players who at least have some kind of stake in what goes on at the attacking midfield position. You also could throw Leroy Sané into the mix because he has played there as well. And Serge Gnabry has even indicated he would prefer to play behind the striker. So not that that will be considered, but there, there's enough competition on the roster at the 10 spot for, for really, I mean, you don't need anyone else. I mean, unless you're going to get messy at this point and you're going to play him there, uh, even an old messy you would consider, but there's not really many players that you're going to bring in at this stage. There's just a lot of competition there. Almo, however, can play on both wings. He He's played a little bit of central midfield in terms of more of an eight, but it, it's been very few and far between. He has played in the wide attacking positions. I think his body type and skill set, he could do that as well at Bayern Munich. So if Sadio Mane were to leave, I could see that as a viable scenario to look at Danny Almo. As much as I don't personally think Bayern Munich would need to replace Mane because I think you could play Musiala on the wing and take advantage of his skill set there, uh, I could still see Bayern Munich wanting to have four bona fide wing options plus a fifth in Musiala. It, it's tough. I don't think that Almo is going to be worth the money that would be required to get him, which I think will end up somewhere around 50 million to 60 million euro. And, and I could be off just going by what I had seen in previous reports, but Almo has, has great ability. He, he's a good player. He's been good for Leipzig. Like I said, his numbers, sure, I would, out of an attacking player, I'd like to see a lot more production than what he has done this season. But I could see why Bayern Munich has interest because of that ability and because of his versatility to slide across several different positions in the attack. It would make him attractive to someone like Tuchel. Now, I think Nagelsmann would have been all over an Almo move because obviously Nagelsmann was, was a player who wanted more attacking midfielders than he did wings. Uh, in fact, I think we were really leaning toward not really using wings at all uh, at Bayern Munich uh, if Nagelsmann had remained in place. I think that he had really made the decision to go to a back three and use Kingsley Coman as a wing back. And it, I, I, I honestly think that was part of the reason Bayern Munich's executives were a little hesitant about Nagelsmann because these plans were going to alienate a lot of players on the roster. It was also going to put Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala working together, which I think would have worked out great, but it was going to take away uh, the roles that you conceivably would have had for Sadio Mane and, and potentially Leroy Sané, who would have been thrown into the attacking midfield mix. Uh, I think it could have worked out. And I think Nagelsmann had the plan to make it work out. But things happened. He was sacked. And now you have Thomas Tuchel in charge. And while Tuchel definitely is a coach that values that versatility and he likes to be able to move players around and to to have players who are flexible enough to change on the fly, uh, I don't think money-wise this is something that would work at this point. 
think they know that they need a striker. That Bayern Munich absolutely knows they're going to have to go out and spend a lot of money to get a striker. I think that for some reason, and I don't agree with this necessarily, that they're going to go out and they're probably going to get a defensive midfielder of some sort uh, at some level, whether that's a lower-priced, older veteran, whether it's a young player on the rise, or whether it's somebody in mid-career who, who is, I don't want to say an average player, but someone who is not quite world-class, who could come in and maybe just be steady. Uh, I think they'll go out and they'll find a, a six to have that option there because I think that they're not completely sold that Kimmich wants to be a six. They already have Goretzka and Limer who are more of eights. So, you know, and listen, I'm leaving Gravenberg out of the mix because I'm assuming he's going to push his way out. But if he stays, then, you know, he's another one in that eight mix. As much as we've heard that they want to move him to the 10, like we just talked about, you've got too much talent there already. How do you even sort out putting Ryan Gravenberg in the in the lineup as a 10? But either way, uh, Bayern Munich's going to have to make a lot of decisions on all of those positions. And I just think the money that's going to be required to take care of the nine, to go out and get that defensive midfielder that they seemingly want, and then perhaps even inking Cancelo, all that's going to take up a lot of money. So I don't think that those Almo rumors, while I think Bayern Munich legitimately has interest, I just don't know that they're going to have enough money or that they're going to, I should say, they're not going to have enough will to go, to go out and spend that kind of money on a player that they really might not need. And I think that's a good thing. Like you just don't go out and buy players to buy players. And I think if, for the most part throughout their history, Bayern Munich has done a really good job at not doing the drunken eBay spending that probably most of us have done at, at one point or another. They have controlled themselves. They've made smart investments. And they typically don't go out and, and reach for positions when they don't need them. Now, you could point to a couple of years ago when they had that massive log jam in the midfield that it was uncontrollable. They had I, like something like six starting caliber players for two spots. And it was it was tough to watch. There was just general uneasiness and unhappiness with a lot of the players. Uh, it was too many midfielders, not enough positions. And I think they've gotten a little bit better at controlling those urges to just go out and acquire talent. And they've been smart about it in recent seasons. So I have no reason to think that they're not going to go out and have that same approach and, and build a roster that will be better suited to win next season than what we saw this year. So that'll about do it for this flagship show. I appreciate you joining uh, sorry, it's me again. I know you've been hearing a lot of me lately, but scheduling conflicts are scheduling conflicts for our staffers. And uh, I assure you that we will hit get I Need No Name or Samron or Tom or Fergus or any of our great podcasters who have been around back on the show. And they'll be able to to uh, really guide you with better takes than what I have. Uh, it would also be good to hear Marcus on here again. He's always got some good stuff. And uh Love listening to all of them, honestly. I, I'm probably their biggest fan, uh, and I never miss one of the podcasts that I'm not on. I do, however, have trouble listening to myself, so I typically do not do that. Anyway, you can get me on Twitter at The Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. 
You can get Tom at Tommy Adams 71. You can get I need no name at BFW You can get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We'll have all of the news this week. We'll be covering everything. So check us out there. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.